And I said, I just want to walk it and just enjoy that atmosphere because so many people were cheering for us. Mm. And we got up around the final corner and Veronica saw everyone and she's like, oh, me? And I'm like, they're not all here to cheer for you. <laughs> but if you want to think that, and she's like, me? And because and they're all Veronica, Veronica, and, and cheering for her and, and me. And, and um, she wanted to hop out because that was the deal. I had to push her 21Ks and she had to hop out and walk the final 100 metres. Um, and so she hopped out and, and she was just like she was walking the red carpet. But she got out and she was waving and smiling and taking a bow and and just waving to everyone as she, she did those final 100 metres. For everyone to be cheering for her as she crossed that line was just the most magic moment ever. I think that's one of the highlights of, of what we've done. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your Christmas and I hope you are all safe and well wherever you are. I hope you've had a listen to the latest episodes on the podcast with Hanny Alston um, and have gained a lot of insights from Hanny's journey. I'm really looking forward to bringing you some amazing conversations to come over the next few months. Today on the podcast, I speak to an amazing mother, Kylie Davey. Kylie and her husband, Marcus, live in Tasmania and have three children, Jordan, Jacob and Veronica. In 2008, when Kylie was 36 weeks pregnant with Veronica, her obstetrician noticed her yet-to-be-born baby had a severe brain abnormality. Kylie shares parts of their family's journey with Veronica who lives with complex multiple disabilities in this podcast and how they started running and their drive to get busy living. Kylie's direction in life changed following the arrival of Veronica as she was immersed into the world of disability. And we talk about that in this episode. Kylie passionately advocates for Veronica and others in turn with the strong belief that Veronica's life will not be defined by her diagnosis, but focuses on Veronica's strengths and passions. Kylie and Veronica are regulars at Parkrun, having completed over 110 parkruns, and have participated in many fun runs around Hobart, including running for chocolate in the half marathon at Cadbury in 2020. Veronica is also an ambassador for Hearts and Souls Virtual Running and enjoys getting out and participating in virtual runs. Kylie is the engine as she pushes Veronica in the running chair while Veronica signs that she wants to go faster. It's such an amazing story from 
where Kylie was told by doctors and medical professionals that Veronica would never walk to where Veronica is today. I really hope you enjoy this story of one mother's beautiful heart and passion for her daughter and a passionate advocate for people with disabilities, where Kylie and Veronica show us that anything is possible. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi Kylie, welcome to the RMA podcast. Good afternoon, Nicole. Thanks for inviting me on. I really was excited to have you on, Kylie, because you have been a member in RMA for a while now, and I've loved watching your journey so far as a runner and a mum, obviously, but also as a mum to three children. Yes. One of those who is Veronica, who is um, your little girl who has Down syndrome and cerebral palsy. Yes. Um, among a few other diagnoses that we'll talk about. But I've really loved the journey um, that you have shared within the RMA community. And I wanted to bring you on because I thought a lot of people could learn from your story. Um, and it was really amazing seeing even just the, the most recent post that I saw from you where Veronica was running through the park run shoot. She wanted to do it all by herself independently. And I'm sure that that was um, a long way from where she started out. Um, Definitely. And, and, you know, this journey you've been on for quite a while now. Veronica, how old is Veronica now? Veronica's 12. 12. So, you know, 12 years you've been on this journey. um, And I'm sure the road has been rocky and there's been lots of ups and there's been lots of downs that we'll go into. But... Um, I've just thought that it was a really inspiring story that lots of people could listen to and a lot of people could probably resonate with um, that might be going through a similar journey. Um, But a lot of people can learn from you and your experience, how you've brought um, Veronica along um, with you on your own running journey and what she's learned from you, but also about herself. So yeah. And what she's uh, teaching me. Yeah. And what she's teaching you. Absolutely. Which we'll definitely be asking about. So, I mean, as parents, um, it's so easy to get caught up in the everyday of raising our children and we don't often understand what other people might go through. And being a parent of a special needs child is really hard. I myself am a parent of a special needs child as well. And particularly one with high support needs like Veronica, it would be even more so hard And I wanted to showcase the amazing life that you're living and that you're giving, Veronica, and the advocacy that you've displayed for children with disabilities, um, which has focused more on the ability of Veronica than her disability, which I really love. What she can do over what she can't do. Um, And Veronica has proved many people wrong in her life, which I think is so amazing. And her story is worth sharing. It's a story of courage and commitment on both your parts, sacrifice and resilience, and you should be really proud to be her mum. I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about you. Um, Let's just talk about where you're from and how many kids you have. 
Yeah, so as you introduced me, I'm Kylie and I have a husband called Marcus and together we have three children. So Jordan is our eldest, so he's just finished year 12. Yep. Um, Jacob is 15 and he's in year nine and Veronica's 12 and she's just finishing grade six this week. Mm. And we live in Hobart. So we're about 25 minutes from Hobart on the Eastern Shore. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful Tasmania. So when did you start your running journey, Kylie? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's, um, I actually was a swim, kind of took up swimming probably about seven years ago because I realised that you can't pour from an empty cup and I needed to look after myself before I could look after my family. Mm. And I'd hurt my shoulder lifting Veronica and um, had a couple of cortisone injections and I thought I need to do something more than just having injections all the time. So I took mm. up swimming and one, at one point I decided that I'd swim a bit of a goal of 321 kilometres in a year, which was... Wow. Yeah, so I, I thought three, two, one, because it's for three copies of the 21st chromosome, which is Down syndrome. Ah. Um, and during that year, about a few months into that, Veronica's hip started dislocating and she required quite a significant surgery to have her hip, femur and pelvis repaired. Mm. And as part of her recovery, I couldn't get to the pool to swim anymore because it was just physically impossible to get myself there because she was plastered from her armpits to her ankles. Mm. And so we would drop the boys to school and we'd head down to Linda's farm, which is on the eastern shore of Hobart, and we'd walk along the esplanade in this wheelchair that the hospital provided for us because her regular wheelchair didn't suit her needs at the time. And we'd walk along the foreshore for a little bit and then she signed that she wanted me to run and go a little bit faster. And so it kind of started from there. So that was back in 2015. Wow. Yeah. So we'd go out and we'd, we'd walk little and we'd jog a bit or little and then I'd walk and then she'd sign, she wanted to go faster. And, and then I was like, (laughs) yeah, slow down. Yeah. (laughs) And what do you think that she loved? Firstly, we'll talk about Veronica. What do you think that she loved about being out running with you at that time in the wheelchair? I think it was just, she'd spent a significant amount of time in and out of hospital with some really big complications following the surgery, which meant that um, she was inside a lot. Um, She wasn't, for quite a period of time, she wasn't meant to go in the car either. Um, So she was housebound for quite some time. So just the freedom of being able to get out in the fresh air and she'd have the iPod and she'd put some tunes on and we just go out and we just talk about what we saw and she'd have the music going and she's always um, reasonably friendly with people as long as I don't get too close. Um, <laughs> and she'd always wave hello and, and everyone's so friendly when you're out on the Esplanade and that always wave and say good morning or good afternoon. And mm. yeah, so it was just a really nice time to get out. What did you like about being out there with Veronica at that time? I think it was, um, I needed to get out to clear my head. And it was one thing that we could do together yeah. that it's really hard to find an, an activity that you can do with a child with complex needs that mm. is a mainstream activity. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do something with her that she enjoyed that then I enjoyed. And I also needed to keep physically strong and healthy because there was a lot of, li- there still is a lot of lifting and manual physical stuff involved with Veronica's care. Yeah. Um, so I needed to keep fit to keep her to keep me healthy mm. to be able to support her. Mm. Mm. 
And did you, at that time, like, so that was in 2015, did you say? Yeah. 2015. So that was five years ago. What, how did the journey with running change over the last few years, like from you just starting running with Veronica, you know, every now and then in, in the wheelchair that she initially had when she had her surgery to actually getting a little bit more actively involved in running? How did that transpire? Um, I had a friend up in Launceston and she kept saying, you need to go to park run. Yep. I thought that you had to be a runner to go to park run because like 5Ks was such a long way. Yeah. And then she kept saying, you don't need to be a runner. Anyone can go and you can walk and it's all abilities. And we just continued on for a couple of years. And then I thought one day I thought I should go to park run. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went along on, it was actually New Year's Day in 2018. I did my first park run at Hobart Park Run. Yeah. Um, I didn't take Veronica that day because that one is quite hilly and gravelly. And I knew it would be really tough to push her on the gravel in the wheelchair mm-hmm. up in the downhills because it goes around the dam. Yeah. Um, and I went to that and I just fell in love with the community and a couple of weeks later I took her back. I thought, let's let's go and, and have a go at it. And and in the meantime, we we're lucky that the NDIS had funded a running chair or running yeah. pram. Yeah. Um, so that made it achievable to take her to Hobart Park Run. Mm. And that and definitely then, obviously was, you know, it removed a barrier for you to be did. able to take her and get involved more actively in running so you know having yeah. that that push chair or pram running pram for her that was suitable to her and her needs um was amazing i guess yeah. and you know something that everybody gets to have and how lucky i just think that you know it's so amazing that if you hadn't maybe not had that opportunity to have that chair then maybe you might not have continued so no because wheelchairs aren't designed to run behind by any stretch of the imag- imagination for the, the physical aspect of someone pushing a wheelchair, but it's not designed for Veronica to sit in a yes. wheelchair and be pushed for five kilometres either. Yeah. Um, so we needed something for her posture to keep her safe and to keep me safe pushing her as well. Yeah. Um, and we're just really, really lucky that um, I put a really good case forward to the NDIS and they agreed to fund it. Mm. Um, and then... It was, wasn't soon after that that Brooke, who was one of um, Tasmanian Parkrun um, people that plants lots of new parkrun, she was looking at starting a new one down at Bell Reeve. Um, and she explained to me where the course was going to go and she said, you know, will it be accessible for Veronica and you and is there anything that we need to change? And so I thought that was just beautiful that she thought yeah. of us. And she goes, but that's why we're setting it up. We want everyone to be able to go and we want it to be achievable and easy and yeah, and it's a beautiful course to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's our home park run. So oh, we've only so missed nice. a few. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about that because um, it's pretty amazing the achievements that both you and Veronica have made at Park Run. Yeah. Um, but let's go back now to the beginning of your journey with Veronica um, yeah. and talk about when you're expecting her. So normally when we're expecting our children, we rarely think that something might go wrong. What was that experience like for you when you were expecting Veronica? Did you know there was anything wrong before she was born? No, I'd had a, a typical pregnancy up until 36 weeks. Um, I'd had a couple of small bleeds early on, which wasn't unusual for me when I was pregnant. Um, in the past, it had happened as well with the boys. So um, that's just something that some women do is they bleed during 
pregnant, uh, pregnancy. Yeah. Um, but at 36 weeks, I had really painful Braxton Hicks contractions and I'd been having them for quite some time. And my obstetrician was like, oh, that's great because it will make your labour really efficient because everything's used to contracting and, and yada, yada. And um, he said to me, um, we'll just do a scan and have a look how far down her head is because I'd never made it to 40 weeks with the boys either. So I'd had one at 38 weeks and one at 39 weeks. So not preemie, but just yeah. hadn't got to t full term, as they say. Um, and so at 36 weeks, I had this scan and he took a little bit longer than I was kind of comfortable with and um, froze the screen. And then he walked across his office and flipped through some textbooks and grabbed one off the shelf and brought it over. And he's looking at the textbook and looking at his screen doing, oh, and he goes, yeah, that looks like that. And he said he'd seen it three times in over 30 years of obstetrics. Mm -hmm. um, and he was looking at her brain and she had massively swollen ventricles, which are right in the middle of her brain. Right. Um, and he said at that point, he didn't really know what it was or what had caused it. Um, and he said that I needed to go and have an ultrasound and he was going to get his nurse to book it, a specialist ultrasound. Um, and he said, no, I'm not going to get her to book it. I'm going to call up Dr. Brothers myself and talk to her right now and send you down to see her straight away and you need to come straight back. Yeah, so it was kind of, um, you, I just sat there really stunned. Mm. Like, that we didn't know what it meant. And I was going for a regular routine checkup, so I didn't take anyone with me because I thought, you know, it's just a 36-week checkup. Mm. Um, so he sent us off to have this specialist ultrasound and um, I'd called, or they'd called my husband to come in because I was a little bit of a mess at that point. Um, yeah. And I'd called my mum and she came in as well. Mm. sorry that's okay um yeah so we had this ultrasound and we went back to see him um and at that point he said um we don't know if she'll be born alive mm. um we don't know if she'll survive her birth um and we need to get some people to talk to about this um so he sent us off to see a pediatrician that we saw for the boys he got us an appointment the next morning and we went and saw him and, and he looked at all the reports and he said, I've never seen this before. This is way out of my expertise range. Um, so he contacted a neonatologist down at the hospital for us. Um, and we went and met with him and someone else in his team. Mm. Um, and they expressed concerns as well that they didn't know what it could be, what could have caused this severe brain abnormality, um, what the outcome would be, they again said, we don't know if your baby will be born alive. Um, at that point, we were going privately and they said, look, you can have her at the local private hospital, but if she survives her birth, she'll be going straight to the Royal, which is our public hospital. Mm. Um, and he said, and if you have a traumatic delivery, you won't be coming with her. Also, she was really little. Um, okay. So she was measuring behind in her, her size, but I don't have big babies either because there's one, that's one thing in life. It's okay to be below average at <laughs> yeah. the size of the baby that you have. Um, yeah. yeah. So they wanted her to stay in to as close to 40 weeks as possible um, just to continue her growth. Um, mm -hmm. Because she said, if, if she's little, we don't know what's going to go on with her brain. Her lungs might be compromised. Let's just keep her in for as long as we can just to give her the best chance. Mm. Um, so we had to go and have ultrasounds every week. So we had one the following week and one the next week. We'd had lots of trips into the hospital to see the neonatologist and um, to book in at the, the public hospital and 
couple of tours of Niku just so we could get used to the sights and the sounds and the smells because that's really confronting in mm. itself just mm. what's this this hospital room like that they're going to take her to mm. so we had a, a couple of tours of that and um two and a half weeks later I had a scan and I went in to see him and my bags were packed and I said you know I'm done I'm not going home and he said no no she's still really little about 38 and a half weeks. And he said, we don't think she's even seven pound. Oh, she was about, yeah, six and a half pound. They thought she'd be or seven pound, which isn't tiny, but it's not particularly big either. Mm. Um, so he said, um, let's just give her a few more days. And then he um, pulled up the report that we'd had done from the ultrasound that morning. And he looked at it and he said, I'll meet you at the hospital at four o'clock. And I said, what's happened between the conversation we've just had? I said, what does that letter say? And he said that we're concerned that she's stopped growing and um, that she's not getting any nutrition and we need to induce you this afternoon. Mm. Um, so I went into the hospital and met him in there that afternoon, um, which was what I needed because I hadn't slept for two and a half weeks because I was just mm. stressed. so stressed. Yeah, at the, it was kind of one of those situations that you don't know if your baby's going to be born alive, mm. so you want to stay pregnant. But at the same time, you want to have your baby so you can hold them so that you know that everything is okay. Just yeah. that chance that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and luckily during the night, I'd kind of started to go into labour. So when he came back in the morning, he just broke the waters and said, if you're not, things aren't happening by lunchtime, I'll come back and get things moving a bit quicker. Um, and labour progressed quite quickly. Um, by 11 o'clock, I was four centimetres and I had a, I said to the nurses in there that, or the midwife, um, I need to push by about 11, 14. She's like, you can't, she's only, you're only four centimetres. And I'm like, it's my third baby. Some things, you know, you need to call my doctor. He's got to get down from the public yeah. hospital, which was a good 10 minute, probably about 10 minute drive. We're in a teaching hospital and she was a very high risk delivery um, and at one point between contractions, I counted 37 doctors and nurses. Oh, wow. Yeah, because what else do you do between contractions? But you count, oh, how many people are in the room? Wow. Um, yeah, so we actually had her at just after 11.50. So I'd gone from four centimetres to having her in 50 minutes, wow. which was pretty quick. Um, and looking back, hindsight's an amazing thing. Like the room emptied really quickly. Mm. Um, and looking back that's possibly, I've never actually specifically asked them, which I probably will at some point, was did they notice at birth that she had Down syndrome and they just ushered everyone out of the room before anyone said anything? Mm. Um, she did come out, she let out a cry. Mm. Um, and we were told that if she was born alive, she'd go straight to Niku, you might get to see her or you might not. But because she cried, we got to hold her for about 20 minutes. Mm, um, so they just left one of the neonatologists and a nurse and a midwife in with us while they stitch me back up. They take her sort of pretty much straight away to... Yeah, when she was about 20 minutes old, they took her up to Niku. Um, and they came back maybe 10 minutes after that with a photo of her, which I thought was just beautiful. Mm. Um, so even though, like, your baby's not with you anymore, but they're like, she's fine. The doctors are just having a look at her to check. She needs a little bit of help with her breathing, and which wasn't to be unexpected anyway. Mm. Um, and you can go up and see you when you're ready but have a shower first so you feel better because 
that's what all you want to do after you have a baby is have a shower and get a bit cleaned up and yeah um and they said and that will just give the doctors a little bit of time to do what they need to do mm. um yeah so but they had a photo of her which was really nice i thought that was just something really nice for them to be able to bring that down and give that to us when did they sort of know that there was something not quite right about veronica other than the brain abnormality that she they'd seen on the ultrasound did they know any more about her condition no so we um we went up to see her she probably would have been about an hour and a half old and there was four doctors looking at her and she was tiny and i'm just like i don't need to see all these doctors standing over her looking at her poking and prodding her so let's just go back to the room and we'll come back when they're done um, and we went back to the room and then two of the doctors came in and and they said that they needed to talk to us about some things and we just thought they were just going to tell us about oh you know what was going on in her brain um and they came in and they said you know we believe that She's showing quite a lot of markers for Down syndrome. And did we know what that was? Um, and they delivered the diagnosis, I think, beautifully. Like, from what I've heard, it can be handled really terribly with, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, but for us, it was, it was handled really nicely. And the grandparents had just arrived as well. And they said, you know, do you want us to tell the grandparents so you don't have to? Because obviously it was very upsetting. Mm. Um, it wasn't something we'd decline the screening so um i wouldn't have terminated the pregnancy anyway um which probably helped in our mind and i grew up one of my mum and dad's friends has a son who has down syndrome so i'd grown up with him so i knew what it was yeah. um and what that diagnosis could potentially mean mm. um yeah and so then we went down to see her and and the doctor who had done all my ultrasounds had popped in because one in all babies with Down syndrome also have a, a, a born with a heart defect, a congenital heart defect. So they said, oh, we'll just have a check of her heart and see what's going on. And I'm like, okay. And, and the neonatologist said to me, um, she's, she's got a, just a little bit of a, a hole in her heart or a little bit of a murmur. It's nothing to worry about. We'll get Lynn back tomorrow and we'll have a proper check. And so the next day Lynn came down and um, who was the doctor who had done all my ultrasounds. And she did this, this ultrasound of Veronica's heart and said, oh, she's got a whole eight millimetres in her heart um, and her heart's the size of a walnut um, and she has a faulty valve and she may need open heart surgery to repair it. Um, but they're trying to juggle that with, does she need neurosurgery because she's mm. got hydrocephalus in her brain, which is extra fluid in her brain. So they kind of did this whole which way will we go? They said, we'll just leave it and see what happens. Um, yeah, and so she was a day and a half old and she had a diagnosis as a severe brain abnormality, Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect, but she didn't have a name yet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And how did you, like, you know, you just had a baby, which is already a huge thing to go through for any mother. Yeah. But then to be delivered this news that, you know, you've got... Um, your beautiful little girl has these these struggles already and she hasn't even got her name yet. You haven't even yeah. had that chance to sit with her and be with her other than the first 20 minutes of her life and then I guess all that uncertainty around what does all of this actually mean for us? How did you handle yeah. that emotionally? It was really tough um, and also being on the maternity ward is really tough because you could hear babies just crying all night long mm -hmm. and I was sitting there thinking, 
those mums probably want their babies to stop crying. Mm. But all I want is my baby in the room. Yeah. 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 So they ended up moving me up to a room that was at the further end of maternity ward, um, which was a lot better um, as well. But we spent a lot of time down in um, Niku um, mm. next to her as well. I was really lucky that the public hospital didn't ask me to leave and I didn't offer. Yeah. <laughs> as you do. Because <laughs> um, we knew she wasn't going to be coming home anytime soon. And so I was really, really lucky. I got to stay eight days before they said, we think it's time you go home. Mm. Um, yeah, but that first week was really tough. She didn't wake up, really. Um, she stopped breathing a few times and she was just such a sleepy baby. We tried to breastfeed, but that proved pretty much impossible because she just fatigued too quickly. So I was trying to express for her. Um, and then she was having feeds down a nasal gastric tube. Um, and a bit of formula as well to supplement what was going down the tube. And when she was a week old, they decided she was stable enough to have an MRI to have a look what was going on in her brain and to see if they could figure out what caused what they could see on the ultrasounds. And, and it was that night that one of the neonatologists came up to me and she said, oh, I need to have a talk to you. We've got the results. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, no, 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 we need to go to the room. And I'm like, no, it's okay. You can talk here. And she's like, no, we can't. And then you kind of have that, oh, <laughs> What's, yeah. What are they going to say moment? Yeah. So we went to the room and, and that's when she delivered the news that Veronica had had bilateral strokes in utero, mm -hmm. which I didn't even know was a thing. Like who mm -hmm. know, knew that unborn babies could have a stroke. So she'd had strokes on both sides of her brain, um, grade four, which is the worst grade that you can have. And they said it would have instantly killed an adult and they had no idea how she survived it. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was showing uh, some brain injury around the right side of her brain that would affect the movement down her left and she would never walk. Right. And I kind of lost it at that point and said, but that's not fair mm. um, because she already has Down syndrome and severe hypertonia, which is low muscle tone. And now you're telling me that my child will never walk. Mm. And weird things go through your mind. And I just looked at the doctor and I said, you must have the worst job in the world. <laughs> she yeah. looked at me and I said, to have to tell a parent that. Mm. Um, but she was absolutely really gracious with how she delivered the news. And, and um, they got the physio in to see Veronica really quickly after that. And the speech therapist was already visiting. And um, she said, you know, it's, it was never going to be easy. Um, mm. I cried for, it would have been, the next two weeks, mm. I think it was. And then by the time Veronica was three weeks old and, and one day I was in at Nico and I just said to the doctor, she's going to walk. Mm. And they just looked at me and went, <laughs> as they do. And I said, I'm not going to say she's going to walk by the time she's one. I mm. said, but she will walk into school on the first day of kinder. Mm. And the doctors looked at me and said, you know, basically said that's medically impossible. And I said, you know, four and a half years, that's a realistic goal. I said, you know, the neuroplasticity of the brain, let's see what we can do and, and give her every opportunity mm. to learn to walk and let's be realistic and give her four and a half years to find her feet and to get up on them and to walk into kinder on the first day of school. Um, and they said, good luck with that dream. Like, we'll be absolutely amazed if that's what she can do um, and prove us wrong. 
basically. How did you feel being like told basically the opposite of what you're, you were saying, which is that she will walk. How did you navigate that being told the opposite? And where did you actually go to find that support? I think doctors have to tell you the worst case scenario. Mm. Um, so then anything short of that, maybe you're happy with. Um, but in the same time, if you're the person that kind of goes, oh, well, that's, that's how it's going to be. Well, why even bother? but that's not me. I like to prove people wrong um, when, when it's a situation where it's worth proving them wrong. Yeah. Um, and I believe that this was a situation that was worth putting a lot of energy and effort into. Um, so before Veronica came home from hospital, we'd had a visit from a teacher at ESIS, which is Early Childhood Intervention Services, um, where kids with additional needs or a disability can attend it's like a school prior to starting uh mainstream or a school when they for the year they turn after they turn four yeah um so one of the teachers had come a bit come and visited us and she said you know when veronica's home, comes home from hospital we'd love to have your thesis and come in and and join in the family there and, and we'll support you on her journey through to when she starts school and so i thought oh excellent and it was a little bit daunting the first time i went in there but Within the first couple of sessions, we'd met a physio um, when Veronica was eight weeks old. And I just knew she's, she's the physio we need. And I credit her with a lot of what Veronica's achieved. Um, yeah, she was just amazing. So Veronica had, she developed really slow. They said, the neonatologist said, you know, if you can get her to sit by the time she's two, then that will give her an increased chance to learn to stand at some point. And who knows what could happen once she can learn to stand. Mm. Um, they, and they kind of had this ballpark figure that two was the magic number to learn to sit by. Um, so Veronica learned to be able to stay in a seated position when she was 17 months old. And she learned to get herself into sitting at 27 months mm. um, from lying down. Um, and then she crawled the day before she turned three, which was the most amazing birthday present mm. ever to see her get up because we knew that she had to learn to crawl to get all the cross motor patterning. Um, and they didn't know she'd be able to crawl because if your arm and your leg doesn't work, how are you going to be able to get up to crawl? Yeah. But she managed to make it happen somehow. And that was her new mobility and her new way to get around the house mm. and to get around play group. Yeah, um, and it would have made her feel much better being able to get around, <laughs> like yeah. feeling more independent <laughs> yeah. and that she could do it herself. And... Yeah, and then you'd put the toys that little bit further out of reach, the stuff that really motivated her. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the next time you put a little bit further away and a little bit further away and it was all very slow, but she was making these massive gains at the same time. Mm. Um, and by the time she was around four, her physio said, I think it's time to get a walking frame to see how she goes with that because it was the year before she was starting school and because we'd been doing lots of stuff with trying to get her to stand up and on her feet and and just to cruise along the furniture so you know how you place little chocolate yep. chips at appropriate yep. points you know <laughs> gotta do what motivates people yeah um and so Lua physio had, had got this walking frame for her and we said let's try that and and the first day she just stood there and didn't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. um and then we just practiced and practiced and practiced and mm -hmm. yeah we only had it so she couldn't steer so she could just 
move in a straight line and she had little arm supports just to make it as easy as possible for her to stand up and and eventually we got to the point where we could unlock the front wheels and she could steer and that was a game changer because then she could had a bit more control over where she wanted to go i wanted to talk to you about you know when you went home with her um often you know we go home with our babies we bring them home and we would like to show them off to our family and friends and often it's a really exciting time. Was it different for you bringing Veronica home? And how, when, what, when did she come home? She came home um, when she was five and a half weeks old. So that was way before they expected her to come home. So we were originally told that she wouldn't come home until she was at least two months old because um, she needed to be able to feed before she could come home. Um, and in the end, I'm kind of like, can't we just take her home with a nasal gastric tube and I'll feed her myself? Yeah, And they're like, oh, no, we'd really prefer her to be able to, to take from a bottle. And so they'd got a special bottle for her to try. And, and once we got that, we kind of never looked back. Yeah. Um, and whether she'd heard, you know, you can go home once you can feed. <laughs> but maybe that sparks something. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. So once she came home, she was, she was only £5.15 when she was born. So she was still quite little and she was only gaining like 20 grams a week. Um, so it took her a long time to gain any weight. But when you've got a big hole in your heart, weight gain was always going to be really challenging with her. Yeah. Um, but because of her heart condition as well, we're always quite worried about her being susceptible to pneumonias and viruses. Mm. Um, so the first two years of her life, she had pneumonia every four to six weeks. Wow. Um, so she had lots of hospital admissions and, so it just made it really tough because you wanted to go and do things and, and show her off to the world because we were just so proud of our little miracle that had survived. But at the same time, we'd have her in a capsule or I'd have her in a pouch on me so we didn't have to pass the baby around and risk exposing her mm. to whatever was in the community, particularly during winters. Mm. How did you navigate being a parent of two other children as well? And also a wife, like, was that really challenging for your family unit at that time? Yeah, it was really tricky to juggle everything. We're really lucky that my husband's parents and my parents were really supportive. Mm -hmm. um, so I would drop, when she was in hospital, I'd drop my eldest at school um, and the youngest to childcare. They found him extra days in childcare so he could go a lot more. So then I could go and sit at the hospital all day mm -hmm. and then I'd leave in time to pick Jordan up from school um, and my mum was a school teacher so she'd go and work all day and then she'd go and sit in the hospital mm. yeah. so you had great family support yeah yeah, yeah. Well, she, I mean, I, you think it's 12 years ago but yeah it's still so emotional because you know it's such a, a big deal <laughs> to have yeah. a child with additional well especially medical needs that that spends so much time in hospital like I've been I've been around like when my daughter was little we were in hospital quite a lot and and um and also I had some friends who had babies in hospital quite a lot and it's a really difficult situation to be in especially if you have other siblings yeah um, to look after um did they ever you know do you ever feel or did you ever feel this sense of guilt I guess because did you feel like you were letting down the boys? You do, yeah. Whatever you do, like if you're not at hospital, you're feeling you're letting Veronica down. Mm -hmm. But if you're not at home, you feel that you're letting the boys down because yeah. they need you just as much because their lives change just as much. Yeah. 
as as ours did yeah um you know and and we were going in to have a healthy baby with a brain injury Mm -hmm. um and came out with a a child with multiple diagnosis before she was you know even a couple of days old Mm. um and so that's been life-changing for them as well and and you know they've potentially missed out on a lot of stuff because of family situations and circumstances Mm. but at the same time it's just what's had to happen Mm. um and we haven't necessarily stop them from doing anything or achieving anything that they want to do Mm. Um, but it's that balance is really hard yeah Um, and especially you know some nights you go to bed with a child that was was healthy um, and two hours later she'd be struggling to breathe and you'd have the paramedics come flying into your driveway and you'd go into hospital and come home three weeks later Mm. Um, so the boys would go to bed and in the in the end we never used to wake them up Mm. Um, we just thought Marcus can just tell them in the morning that mum and Veronica aren't home and that she'll see you when you go and visit Veronica in hospital because it was unfair on them waking them up all the time because then they'd, they'd obviously be worried. Yeah. Um, and if they woke up when the paramedics were running up the hallway, that was different. Yeah. Um, but they needed to be kids and be sheltered from as much as we could shelter them from as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, here she comes. <coughs> Come and say hello to Nicole. Hi. Round here. Veronica, come and say hello to me. Come round here. You've got to stand here so you can see. Hello. Good hello. girl. Beautiful girl. How are you? Are you good? You're going to have a shower. Jacob's in there at the moment. She's signing. She's going to have a wash. Oh, nice. Yeah. Bye-bye. Hey. hey. Uh, don't be cheeky. <laughs> oh, she started walking when she was five years and 10 months old she took her first independent steps she got up at school and walked across the classroom like she'd been walking forever oh wow which is amazing and one of her teachers aides happened to be holding an ipad and filmed it oh that's amazing Um, yeah and then six months after that her hip started dislocating Mm -hmm. um so she needed a hip reconstruction and he looked it through all all her um, diagnosis and examined her and said, you know, she needs a femur reconstructed um, to helpfully keep it in the right spot. Um, And realistically, she'll never walk again after the surgery. And I kind of did the whole, well, I was told when she was a week old, she'd never walk. Mm. And she proved that doctor wrong. So what will happen if we don't let you operate? And he said she'll end up in pain permanently in a wheelchair with a permanently dislocated hip. And what will happen if we do let you operate? And he said, hopefully I can make her hip stable, um, but chances are she'll never walk again. And I said, oh, no, she'll be fine. She'll walk again. And he kept saying, you have to hear me. Realistically, she will never walk again. And I said, but you've got to hear me. I said, I've been told this before. And I said, she's got all the motor planning now. Like she's, she's done that before. I'm sure she can do it again. Um, and so that was a really tough decision to make. Do you do nothing knowing that she's going to end up with a dislocate, permanently dislocated hip and end up in significant pain from that? Or do you give the surgeon and her a chance to have a stable hip and see what that means? Mm. Yeah, so we went to Melbourne when she was six and a half um, and they surgically cut her femur in half repinned it, angled it, um, cut bits out of her pelvis, tilted her pelvis a little bit. Mm. Um, 
put it all back together and crossed their fingers. Um, I went into recovery and she was literally plastered from her armpits to her ankles mm. in a semi-reclined seated position, um, which was really hard to manage. Yeah. Um, as you could imagine. Um, How that long was, did she have that for? How long? Was three she months. Three months. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that was done in Melbourne and we live in Hobart. Mm. Um, so there was trips forwards and backwards to the kids' hospital. Poor little thing. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't pretty. Yeah, old. Like you know, you just you think an adult wouldn't be able to handle it, but like a poor little six-year-old. Like it's so unfair. And because she wasn't, she's only partly verbal, so she couldn't tell us how she was feeling either. So that was coming out in lots of behaviours and and not being able to move. Like wherever I put her down, that's where she was. She was like she couldn't get up and move because she was plastered yeah in this massive plaster and and so that that was probably one of the most challenging times how do you handle watching veronica go through all these procedures all the time throughout her life you just would any parent would probably say the same thing which is you'd rather it be done to you than your child because mm. they're so innocent and they're so defenseless so you just kind of got to trust them at the same point but it's just it's awful it's really traumatic and parents shouldn't have to go through that. No, it's terrible. Yeah. Have you ever felt um, socially isolated as a parent of a child with sexual needs? I'd be lying if I said, oh, no, I've never felt socially isolated. But I think one of the, the best things about social networking is there's always someone there at the end of a support group that you're in, no matter what time of the day or night it is. Um, and there's also that small group of friends that you know that you can text or call and they will be there. Have you made some really good friends through social yeah. networks with pe- with other people that have children like yes. Veronica? Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, it's, it's in, tricky in some ways because we don't, because of the dual diagnosis, it makes it quite tricky um, trying to figure out where you fit in the whole world of disability. I mean, as, you know, if you know one person with Down syndrome, you know one person with Down syndrome. Yeah. Because, um, it, you know, every, every, everyone's an individual. Um, so I ended up starting a group for children with or parents of children with Down syndrome and cerebral palsy because the diagnosis is quite unique. Mm. Um, and I found 45 other families in the world Wow. Um, who have the dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and cerebral palsy. And there's a, a percentage of those families who have a diagnosis of epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and another, Veronica's also been diagnosed with autism. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. Wow. Is, what does that bring to you knowing that there is a group of like-minded people that you can connect with and get support from? that understand what you're going through as a parent what does that mean to you i think it it just it's nice to know that there's someone else there at the end of the phone that um that understands or not necessarily understands what you're going through but they can empathize Mm. because they know that it's not an easy life Mm. But as I put up, it was International Day of People with Disability um, recently, the first, 3rd of December, and I put up a thing on my Facebook and I said, you know, um, I wouldn't change Veronica for the world, but I'll change the world for her. I want people to know that even though it's hard, 
and there's lots of little challenges and hurdles along the way, the other option was for her to not be alive. So at the end of the day, I'd rather have her um, and the joy that she's brought to my life and, and what she's taught us mm. and our extended community and families and has just been so beneficial and life-changing as well. Mm. I was reading your blog um, that you have about Veronica and I'll put that in the show notes so people can yeah. have a little read if they like um, and also you have your Facebook page as well. Um, and you do spend a lot of time advocating for Veronica and just people with disabilities. Why do you think this is so important to you? And what would you want to tell others about Veronica or people that have a disability to help them understand your situation and how much value Veronica brings to the world? I think the big thing is not to let a diagnosis define what a potential outcome may or not, may not be. Because I think we all think that the medical people, they've been to uni for a really long time. So what they're saying is what, what they're medically trained to say and what the medical research or whatever the options it may be. Um, but don't limit a, let a diagnosis limit anyone's potential. Yeah. Because um, it would be so easy just to go, what is what it is, so let's just... Do whatever well, not everybody, we do. Yeah. Everybody's not a textbook, you know. <laughs> like, no, no. Everybody yeah. can, I mean, when I was born, my parents were told that I was going to die, that I would not survive. Wow. And yeah. now look at me, you know. Yeah. Like, it's just, you just can't. I mean, I know that they can say this condition means this, but it doesn't always mean that. So no. I think there's potential in everybody. And the fact is Veronica has shown them and prove them wrong time and time again. You know, they said twice now that she wouldn't be able to walk yeah. and yet she is up and walking. So it just shows that, you know, and you advocating for her and displaying that, that she has amazing talents and abilities um, brings light yeah. to that. To, you know, it brings hope, I guess, to people that do have disabilities, that yeah. they can have a go and try different things, that they can overcome challenges that might be placed on them because the textbook says that. Yeah. And I've had so many people message me through Veronica's Facebook page saying that they, they might've Googled um, brain abnormalities during pregnancy and stumbled across my blog or her Facebook page. And, mm. and they said, it's given them hope, mm. but what the doctors are telling them might be medical but it's giving them that little bit of hope and without that little flicker of hope then life could be so different mm -hmm. um so i want people to be able to to dream big um yeah. and do everything you can to make those dreams come true and and if veronica had never walked that wouldn't have been the end of the world for us like we'd still be getting busy living life yeah um but i wanted a, to give her every opportunity to enjoy life and live life to, to reach her unlimited potential. Yeah. I don't want to cap anything and say that she can or can't do that. So let's just get out there and, and be active. And, you know, mums with 12 year old kids can go out and go for a run. So why shouldn't we? 100%. We just, we just do it differently. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when she got her first wheelchair, she was in, in kinder. So she was five. And I was just shattered because I thought I'd failed her because I thought that that was kind of her prognosis when she was born. And I thought that I'd failed her. And, 
and they wheeled in this purple with flashing wheels wheelchair. <laughs> Her OT said we've pimped it. Um, and it was the tiniest wheelchair I've ever seen. Oh. And I so shattered because I thought I'd failed her and and we put her in this wheelchair and she put her little right hand down on the wheel and she kind of did this and she made it move like it was only five centimeters but she made it move and I went you know what this is this is not limiting her potential this is not limiting her mobility this is just a different form of mobility that's going to yeah. open up the world to her that's right at some that's point right. this will hopefully give her some independence and, you know, I think it's a, it's a real gift that you have, like, Kylie, in, in the way that you advocate for her. But I think, I think sometimes when a child has been given a diagnosis of a disability, a parent can – there's two different ways you can go. You can either despair and yeah. sit in that despair um, and not do anything about it. Or you can go the other way, which you went. And I'm sure there's been despair, 100%. There's been despair. Yeah. But you, were, you weren't willing to just accept the diagnosis or the prognosis and say, well, we can't do anything about it. You were willing, you, you know, you, you took it and you went, right, well, I want my daughter to have the same opportunities as everybody else. You know, she's going to a, a mainstream school. She's, she's going out into the community. She's participating in activities. She's got friends. She's going to her year six graduation. She's doing all the things that typical 12-year-olds would be doing, but she's just doing them a little bit differently. Yeah. But she's still having those opportunities. And I think that's, that's the best gift that you can give Veronica as a parent. Yeah. To allow her to shine yeah. in her own way. Yeah. Giving and her those tools, working with the people and the therapists and all the people in her team to help her get there. Yeah. And building a community around us. Um, and you know, because she has autism, she does have a lot of sensory difficulties as well and, and social and, um, difficulties. Yeah. And so we found a couple of little cafes that I knew would be really supportive of us. And we, we kind of started frequenting, frequenting them when she was in her plaster, because I just needed some time to get out of the house and have a coffee. Mm, yeah. Um, so we, we'd kind of start doing that back when she was in a, in her, in her plaster and. Um, everyone, as one of the owners at the beginning of the year, she said to me, Veronica's come so far. She said, when you first started coming here, everyone knew that Veronica was here because <laughs> she would, she would get really distressed by the noise, mm. but I knew I had, to, we had to work through that and we had to find a cafe where she was, they were comfortable for us to work through that whole process as well. Mm. Um, and we just got to the point at the beginning of the year where she was comfortable to be able to go up to the counter and try to engage in ordering for herself. And then of course COVID hit this year. Mm -hmm. So we had massive regressions with, mm -hmm. with that kind of thing. But just the last three weeks, she's got to the point now where um, we're going to the cafe and she signs for me. I have to sit and stay just like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and she goes up to the counter and she orders herself. She signs for an ice cream and a chino and a coffee for mum. Aww. Or she'll take her communication device with her, um, which is a bit awkward for her to carry. But if it's sitting on the counter, it's fine. Mm. Um, and two of the, the lady and one of the um, baristas knows what Veronica's signing. And um, the lady that owns it said to me the next time I went in, she said, I was so excited when Veronica came up on order. She said, that just made my day. She said, she's come so far over the last five years that you've been coming in here. 
Mm. And she said, but could you um, drop a little piece of paper with what her signs are? So if anyone else serves her, then we can teach the other staff so they know what she's communicating. And I thought, that's just beautiful. That's something that I haven't initiated, but that they have and that they want to do for her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, she's had her wash. She's had her bath. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. She's coming over here. You you say hello to Nicole and then go get dressed. Hi. You've got your your towel on. You had a good wash? Yeah. Good wash? Yeah. Go get your jumps on. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just finding those those little communities that are, are really supportive of us on our journey mm. and really embrace her as a person and encourage us because yeah. it would have been so easy for for some of the cafes as owners to go your child's really noisy mm. like can you and it happens like yeah. you hear of horror stories where people are asked to leave because their child's noisy yeah so we're really selective about our, about where we take her yeah um because i want to set her up for success as well it's about all those little stepping stones to give her access to build the skills that she needs Mm. um and as an example like her veronica can really shut down in a formal therapy session um which is completely understandable when you've been in and out of hospital and Mm. um and the real medical model of disability so we meet her physio at the playground because what's more motivating than playing at the playground um yeah and so and you've probably seen the pictures i put up of her climbing across the rope bridge um after park run the first time we met the physio at the playground mim said what do you want to do and she just pointed up and went that one and mim's like okay right let's go and how are we going to make this possible Mm. Um, and that's taken months and months of hard work but now she can independently she crawls up the steps up and she can walk across the rope bridge and, and each week after park run she just gets more confidence mm. in where she's putting her feet and and where she's stepping and and just the delight when she gets to the top and she can come down the slide and and it's like yeah did it like mm-hmm. and you can just see the self-pride yeah um yeah. and so for, for us physio at the playground is so much more motivating um, because she's getting all those the gross motor skills that she needs to develop um, and then we go to the cafe after park run and she orders herself her ice cream and a tuna so she's getting the social skills of going to a, the counter and ordering and sitting at a table with the other park runners and yeah. engaging in it's limited conversation but she engages in conversation and um, does she like like what does she let's talk about park run now like when when you started going to Parkrun, did Veronica enjoy the experience or has um, it evolved over time? It's evolved. Um, so similar to going to the cafes. Yes, Veronica. Oh, you got your nighty on. Good girl. Um, the, first, the first few months were a bit hit and a miss because, as you know, Parkrun can be very busy mm-hmm. and very peopley. And Veronica doesn't necessarily cope with crowds and the noises particularly well. And so there'd be weeks that she would let me know she wasn't particularly happy for the first four kilometres. Yeah, um, out of the five. <laughs> out of the five, yeah. Um, and it would have been so easy after 400 metres to turn around and go back. But I knew that, that we would get to the point where 
where she would love it. And we just had to persevere through that. And we, and I worked out, you know, don't start running at the beginning, walk for the first kilometer and it's less peopley. And then once the, the crowds spread out a little bit, then start getting into your run and yeah. um, yeah. And then eventually we got, and some weeks she gets frustrated or it's a bit, she's having a bit of a sensory overload day or um, the doll she takes, the hair's not right. So it's very stop and start and, um, or she'll see a runner in front of us and they've got their hair in pigtails. So the dolls need to have their hair the same. So you're stopping oh, and God. starting. <laughs> yeah. Halfway through um, parkrun, you're doing right. hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You look on your gum and at the end it's like, we stop there and we stop there yeah. and we stop there. Um, but it's just such a supportive community and Veronica's really well known now around the Hobart running community because I mean, there aren't that many of us that are running pushing 12 year olds. No. And I mean, and on that, like, that's a good workout. It is. It's called strength training. (laughs) Strength training. And you wrote the other day that you just finished your hundredth or Veronica's finished her hundredth park run. Yes. was her hundredth Bell Reef park run. So she's done 110 and a hundred at Bell Reef out of, I think Bell Reeves up to 109 or 110 park runs. So she's only missed a little few, which is when she's been in hospital or um, the weather was really bad a couple of weeks. So she stopped home. Mm. Um, what do you think that park run has taught Veronica? I think it's um, community spirit. Mm. Um, I think she thinks that everyone goes to park run just to cheer for her when she hops out at the end and walks through to finish a shoot. I think that's one of the highlights of her week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Every day she gets up and the first thing she signs is running and she gets, yeah, she gets out a running shirt because she wants to go running. And I'm like, you can ask Mrs. Saman or Mrs. Charles, if you can go running at school or um, one of the TAs that she might have at recess. Yeah. Um, There'll be days that she gets dressed in her school uniform and she insists on having a running shirt over the top. Yeah, she just seems to really love it. And whether it's, I think she loves the wind in her hair and she loves, she takes, she um, has some dolls that she takes and she just waves them around and she gets the music going and Um, yeah, she tells me she wants to go faster and our course is an out and back course. So it's two and a half k's out and back or two and a half k's back and and as soon as we turn around the big tree, she starts signing for orange. Um, she signs in American Sign Language, some of it, because the slide is orange. Yes. And I think that's her highlight of her, of her social outlet for the week. Mm. Um, and obviously there's lots of kids at Park Run. Yeah. Um, so she has a good play at the playground with the kids. And she's, we've worked really hard in the last two years on turn-taking. Um, and she was like, your turn and my turn and, and just all those little social cues that she's learning. And, and a lot of the kids at Parkrun, she's just Veronica. Yeah. She's not a child with a disability. She's yeah. just Veronica. And they know that she moves different and she wears things on her legs so she can stand up. And um, she doesn't speak very much. She signs, but she gets a point across. Mm. Um, and she'll say to them, come on, because she does have about 10 words. And mm and they go up and there's two little girls in particular that are just so gentle and so inclusive and it's not it's not something they're putting on it's just who they are 
Mm. What do you think kids could learn from Veronica? Like, what do you think those kids could learn or are learning from her? I think they're learning not to give up um, the spirit of determination um, and the power of dreaming big and seeing where your dreams take you. Um, Yesterday, I went to the grade six liturgy at her school and the school captains were reflecting on what happened throughout their school journey from kinder to grade six. And they had a couple of highlights from every year. And, and the school captain got up and he said, we remember prep. That's the year Veronica walked. Mm. And I just, there was (laughs) so many tears from me and the other parents because they all remember that too. Um, and they all knew that she was never meant to walk mm, and for them the <laughs> yeah and for them to remember back to prep that that was their highlight that their friend learnt to walk mm, mm. um that was so special that that's what they shared as their highlight from prep mm. and that's so beautiful that you know they yeah. see veronica as just their peer yeah just yeah. one of the one of the girls she's one of their friends so yeah and when she started school we did send home a little flyer that said hi my name's veronica and i have down syndrome and cerebral palsy which means my brain and it was very four-year-old level my brain has a bruise in it which means my muscles don't work the same way as yours do um but i like to play games so please ask me to play i forget the rules so please remind me of the rules so just really simple things that they could learn about Veronica and the parents said they found it really beneficial um, Mm. because then their child was exposed with language to use Mm. around Veronica. We didn't, we wanted to use all the proper terms of Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and, and brain injury. And, and the biggest concerns that a lot of her friends had at that point, because she wears AFOs, which are ankle foot orthotic um, for people that aren't sure. So it supports her ankles and keeps them in a, in a more natural position yeah um but to a child who doesn't know what they are they they used to think her feet were broken and that she was in two plasters Uh, yeah and so her tas for the first few weeks were asked what's those things on her legs why does she wear them do they hurt are her legs broken so once they got past the point no her legs aren't broken it just keeps her feet so she can stand up um it was just explaining it to them and they're like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Then that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So they've seen her progress throughout the school years in her, her school that's been really inclusive and done everything they can to make schooling successful. It would have been very easy for them to say the school's not accessible for Veronica and the school's made amazing adjustments and accommodations to make that possible um, from putting in a lift so she can access different areas of the school and taking out some stairs and putting in ramps and um, taking out the pine bark and putting in softball because she had was allergic to pine bark when she was younger mm-hmm. um, and so they had to get rid of that so she could access the playground equipment and um, and then just the curriculum adaptions that they've made so that she can access the curriculum with her peers as well. It's amazing, like, the difference that, you know, the kindness of people can make in someone's life when they are just accepting them 
as yeah. they would anybody else and making those accommodations for someone like Veronica or any child that would have a disability yeah. to attend their school or like parkrun to attend parkrun the cafe to be able to go to the cafe like it makes yeah. a huge difference in the lives of these people it and does. your family yeah. because it means that you can also access these places and services as yeah. a family unit i wanted to ask you a question that always plays on my mind um as a parent of a child who does have some special needs and I wanted to ask you, do you ever get sad or have you ever got sad thinking about Veronica in the context of other neurotypical or typical children that don't have a disability? Um, and there's a process of grief that a parent goes through when their child is diagnosed with a disability. And how have you dealt with that grief and what have you done to help you through that time which comes and goes throughout your life like it's not something that ever goes away it comes and goes what kind of things do you do to help you get through that grief that's part of the process of having a child with a disability i think the first time i really experienced that on the bigger pitch was when they said that she would never walk mm. and my mind just jumped forward five years and went how can she go to school with her brothers it's on the side of a hill mm. And I just got caught up in that for quite some time. And then I just went, you know what, that's five years away. Yeah. Let's not stress about what may or may not happen down the track. Let's just live in the moment. And because I wasn't enjoying it because yeah. I was stressed about what could happen in five years or 10 years or 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I got to the point where you just have to enjoy the moment and what it is and make the most of, of every situation. And, and that, that, Early on, there were a couple of dark days, but there are, there are times where you kind of think, where you see all other kids her age are, are able to do things independently. Like my child, she needs full supervision. She has epilepsy, so she can't be left unattended in the bathroom. Um, she, she can't get in and out of the bath independently. Um, we've got the bathroom done now, so we've got a walk-in shower um, with a little stool so she can turn the tap off on and off and and do that independently, but she needs to be supervised because there's a risk with water and epileptics and um, she can't get in and out of the car independently. So I'm lifting a 12 and a half year old that is, it's not ideal. Um, and her, her therapists see me lifting her in and out of the car and they just shake their heads. And I'm like, well, how else do we get her in and out of the car? You know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's not like all of a sudden one day I've woken up and gone, I have to lift my 34 kilo child in now the car. She was like two and a half kilos when I was first doing it. So, yeah. so as she's grown, I've got stronger. Um, so it's those little everyday things that, that I just took for granted with the boys. What kind yeah. of goals and dreams do you have for Veronica moving forward into the future? Um, I want... As I said before, I try not to jump too far down the track, but I have I, every now and again, I kind of like, you know, what would things look like in 10 years or by the time she's 25 or 30, what could happen? And um, I want her to have some life semi-independent from us. Like I'm, I'm more than fine if she lives at home forever, but it would be nice for her to have some independence of her own. And, and whether that's, living we're, we've got two acres where we live 
So that could be a granny flat in the backyard or it could be independent living somewhere with friends. I don't want her in a group home um, because I want her to be with peers that she's such a visual learner and that's where I think mainstream schools benefited her so much because she's learning all those social skills and life skills from her peers because they're modelling six Mm. hours every day at school what you do in social situations yeah um which is yeah so massive difference to her life to be honest like yeah you know in 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 the difference from that if she hadn't had that modeling um yeah yeah Yeah. made a massive difference to the way that she's grown up you know yeah and been able to communicate with others yeah what lessons do you think Veronica is learning from watching you in the way that you parent her and the way that you have your own goals and dreams? It's a really tricky question to answer because Veronica has a severe intellectual disability. Mm. And so whether, how deep she thinks, no one really knows. Like I'd love to know how her mind works. Mm. But I also know that, um, when, when I pick her up from school, I'm the luckiest mum in that school pickup because every afternoon she comes out, she is so excited to see me. Like I get met with the biggest happy smile, face, cuddle, kisses. It's like the first time she's seen me in weeks, mm-hmm. every day. Um, and I know it's not like that for every mum. <laughs> so, um, but I think... She's taught me so much about resilience and determination and changing my, my vocation as well. Um, Veronica's been supported by some amazing teachers' aides and teachers during her education career. And, and so the year after she had her hip done, I decided that I'd go to TAFE and become a teacher's assistant because I wanted to be that TA for someone else's child because I knew that years of therapy with my child is something you can't learn in a textbook but if I could go in and be that for someone else's child I know how life-changing it is Mm. um and so I went to TAFE and halfway through the course I got offered work um and I graduated my my um teacher's aid certificate at the end of that year and went back and did a um disability certificate and then a couple of other things and then the teachers at school kept saying, you should be a teacher, not a teacher's aide. Yeah, so I've, um, last year I went to uni, started uni to become a teacher. So wow. I'm kind of doing that in my spare time. Um, When's that? <laughs> yeah, uh, between 2 and 5am because Veronica doesn't yeah. sleep particularly well. Yeah, um, wow, good on you. Yeah, and I'm really enjoying doing that for me. Mm. Um, it's You're just, just doing it part-time or full-time? Or yeah, part part-time because I work four days a week yep um yeah so my goal it's a four-year degree and I'm aiming to get it done in six because I think that's realistic that's online Um, you're doing yeah online yeah through UTAS yeah um but in saying that Veronica's due for a really big surgery at it was meant to be this year but because of COVID that hasn't happened so depending on what that looks like Mm. may slow me up a little bit Mm um but we'll wow. see good on you I mean you've got your own goals and dreams as well and 
you know, you've yeah. dedicated so much of your life, like last 12 years to really looking after Veronica and, you know, now she's becoming a young woman, you know, she's, yeah. she's leaving year six, she's going into high school and she's yeah. going to be, you know, in a different phase of life. And this is now your turn to have a little bit of time doing something you love as well. And I yeah. think that's really important to have that balance, especially as a parent of a child with a disability. I think you need to yeah. have that something special for you, a little bit of your own identity, I guess, something that you yeah. enjoy doing for you. I, yeah. I remember when I started working at the school I'm in and, and it would have been about three months later and one of the office ladies said to me, oh, um, where do your kids go to school? And I said, oh, um, Jordan's at this school and Veronica and Jacob are at this school. And she goes, Veronica, is that Veronica from Facebook? And I'm like, yeah, it's Veronica from Facebook. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm Veronica's mum. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah. So I kind of, yeah, at that point, you kind of lose your identity as Kylie. And then yeah. you kind of go into that, your Veronica's mum phase yeah. again. Yeah. Um, but through running, we're very much a team through running. Everyone knows this is Veronica and Kylie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> yeah. What kind of events have you done together? Have you only done parkrun or have you actually done other events together as well? So we do lots of the fun runs around Hobart. So like the Run the Bridge and City to Casino and Round the River. Um, we've done two or three up at Ross, which is the 10K event. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Just Like Jack. Um, so that's a family from Launceston and and Jack has cerebral palsy Mm -hmm. and um, his family don't want his diagnosis to limit his potential in any way either so they started a little organization called Just Like Jack which has grown and grown and um, they actually provide running prams for people to try and to participate in events and and park runs and oh that's excellent yeah so we've joined Jack's team on quite a few events and um the big one we did last year was the Point to Pinnacle, which is known. Yeah. Uphill. Um, yes. So oh, it's, it's known as there. the world's. Veronica up there. Yeah. It's known as the world's toughest half marathon. Um, but it was, it snowed. So we didn't get to go to the top, which oh. we got halfway up to Fern Tree. And I just looked at the top and I'm like, thank goodness it's snowing because she'd, um, She'd been really poorly and had some seizures and had just come out of hospital at seven o'clock the night before, after four days in hospital. And we were lining up to start at 7am the next morning. Um, mm. and, and they all knew when they discharged, because I'm like, we've got to get home, point to Pinnacles on tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, like, yeah. and, and so I was kind of a little bit relieved when it wasn't going all the way to the top because I hadn't slept for four days. Yeah, gosh. Yeah. Um, and then halfway through last year in July, I just kind of had this little thought that um, because I ran Cabri half marathon at the beginning of last year, because yeah. who doesn't run for chocolate? Like, right. like if you're going to run a, um, a half marathon for your first half, it might as well be at Cabri's where you get chocolate when you finish. <laughs> and so kind of, means, you know, like we've done a few 10 K events and I kind of thought, well, it's, I need two park runs more to do a half marathon. <laughs> and so oh. I did Cabri at the beginning of last year. And then it would have been about August last year. I just kind of got this little thought that I wonder if I could do Cabri half with Veronica. Mm. And then you kind of do this whole, no, that's crazy. I'll put it on Facebook to make myself accountable. 
because once you put it out there, it's kind of like, well, now I have to. Yeah. Um, so I trained really hard for that and was going out doing between 20 and 27 Ks every Sunday because I thought if I can get that in my legs and, mm. and then surely pushing her 21 kilometres won't be as hard as mm. doing 27 by myself. So <laughs> yeah. was it? Was it? <laughs> um, it? It wasn't easy. Yeah. Um, but it was a magic day. So the local paper, paper had run a story on us the day before and because and lots of people know us. So every, every 50 metres, there was a go Veronica, go Kylie. And it was just so motivating to have mm. so many people cheering us on. And we're running with um, one of our friends from Parkrun. We'd, we'd passed him and then he'd called us up and then, and in the end, probably from about, I don't know, five Ks on, we were running together and, and he's like, it's just like running with a celebrity. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, everyone knows Veronica. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about me. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was the first half was fine. But then when we turned around and came back, we were into the wind oh. the whole way back. Um, and so there was some walking, but I was fine with that. I knew yeah. that running 21 Ks, pushing her was physically a big ask. Mm. Um, huge ask <laughs> yeah and the last about 500 meters of cabri is upper incline like it's not steep but it's just yeah. up an incline so i ran as far as i could up there and and i just thought this is hard work and i really wanted to enjoy it as well i wanted to enjoy the moment mm. and so i said to the guy that was running with us i said go ahead and and that's fine like go on and finish it off and because he wanted to run the street and and um be there to cheer us over the line as well. Mm. And I said, I just want to walk it and just enjoy that atmosphere because so many people were cheering for us. Mm. And we got up around the final corner and Veronica saw everyone and she's like, oh, me? And I'm like, they're not all here to cheer for you. <laughs> but if you want to think that, and she's like, me? And because and they're all Veronica, Veronica, and, and cheering for her and, and me and and um, she wanted to hop out because that was the deal. I had to push her 21Ks and she had to hop out and walk the final 100 metres. Um, and so she hopped out and, and she was just like she was walking the red carpet. So she got out and she was waving and smiling and taking a bow and, and just waving to everyone as she, she did those final 100 metres. And I was told to stop and stay, but it's really hard because you get, you know, those really fast runners who are coming in. Yeah, yeah. Returning from the 10K run and a couple of other events that were on as well. And yeah, and just for everyone to be cheering for her as she crossed that line was just the most magic moment ever. I think that's one of the highlights of, of what we've done. Yeah, she's was, done a half marathon. Yeah, she's a half marathoner. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. At 12. At 12. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And she, yeah. she coped with it really well. So my goal when I ran Cabri the first time, like I'm not I'm a plotter. I'm a happy runner. Um yeah. and I go out okay. just to plot along. Um so I ran that in two hours forty. And that was my goal, thinking, you know, I'm a lot fitter than I was twelve months ago. Let's see if we can do it in the same time with her. Yeah, um, wow. and we crossed in two hours forty-one, or she crossed in two hours forty-one, wow. um, and it took her about three minutes to walk the finisher shoot. So I was stoked. I, I was so happy with that. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I think that's amazing. And 
What's even more beautiful is that, you know, a half marathon's hard for anyone, whether you're running it by yourself, but you're pushing a pram with Veronica in it, who probably weighs, how much do you reckon she weighs now? She's 34 kilos. 34 kilos for a half marathon, pushing her the whole way. Like that is huge. That's a huge effort. You're just playing to her, you know, the strength and character that you've got, you know. And you're taking her along for the journey and teaching her lessons along the way about what it means to you to do these things Things. yeah yeah and I'm just so proud of her when when she hops out and she walks at the end and Mm. and she just as she she um she crosses the line now and she does it at Parker and she crosses the line and then she cheers for me and then (laughs) as I come across and she just gives you the biggest hug and it's like she's that's how she thanks me or she's proud of me for being her engine Mm, mm. yeah and it's just yeah it's just so beautiful and the parkrun community and the running community is just so Mm. beautiful with supporting us she's living her best life yeah Yeah. she really is that's all we want for any of our children is to get busy living and that's like my motto is get busy living yeah like we don't know how long we've got on this this earth and we don't know how long we've got our kids for and Mm. and i want to pack as much into that as we can mm. in the time that she's around for um You're doing an amazing job at doing that yeah. and you know i think the good thing about parkrun too is that that's something that veronica can continue to do throughout her life yep. as an adult you know she can continue to go every week and the longer and more consistent she's and you're teaching her consistency as well by going yeah. every week i mean you've done 110 parkruns like and going every week is teaching her that you know consistent at things you get better at them she's getting to know people better she knows the routine yeah it's only going to serve her by yeah. doing that and we volunteer once a month as well because mm. um, i want her to give back yeah to the community that supports us i want to give back to the community that supports us mm. um and obviously it's really limited what we can do to volunteer because of veronica like she's not going to stand there and wait for runners to come back when there's a massive playground next door <laughs> yeah um yeah, so we tail walk once a month. Yeah. Um, and she's fine the weeks we tail walk. We love to give back to the community that supports us. Mm. And that's what the whole thing is, you know. If you give back, then parkrun can continue. That's right. Well. And that's a lesson that you're teaching her, you know, that we do yeah. give back to the communities that support us. You know, it's a valuable lesson yeah. for any child yeah. to learn. When I think about having a child, I think about it being the most precious gift to us that God yeah. gives us. He gives us children to love and he gives us children to learn from. What is the biggest impact that Veronica has had on your life? I think it's not to take anything for granted. You always have that mentality that nothing bad will happen to us. That happens to any other people. Mm. And you go through a pregnancy thinking it's all fine. And then all of a sudden the goalposts have moved. So I think the big thing is to... um. Yeah, just don't take anything for granted. Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. Um, if it's not going to matter in five years, I try not to invest energy in it today because I've only got a finite amount of energy to invest in, in different things. So if I, I pick my battles, yeah. what I invest my energy in and, and I really fight for what I believe. Mm. Um, and I've been on different committees and different organizations and and 
I don't want to speak just for Veronica, but I want to speak for all those other mums and dads and carers and, and people that don't know it's okay to question the system mm. and that don't know it's okay to be the squeaky wheel. I want to um, advocate for everyone because while I'm changing things for Veronica, hopefully there's a roll-on effect that it's changing things for other people as well. Mm. Um, and she's opened up so many doors that I wouldn't have had otherwise um, that I've been really blessed to be involved in. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you are doing an amazing job, Kylie. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your story with us. It's been an, an honour and a pleasure to chat to you today and to meet Veronica. Yes. Thanks over Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I won't be editing that out. That will be staying Simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. So, you know, thank you so much. And please continue to share your story in RMA and also in the wider running community. Yeah, we'll um, hopefully I can get down to Tassie maybe this year or not this year. We're in 2020, in 2021. Yeah, come run with us. Yeah, yeah and can meet you guys in person properly. Yeah, and I just want to thank you for the community that you've, you've started as well. Like I don't even know how I stumbled across RMA. Like mm. I just stumbled across it and, and just to see and be involved in a community that's women inspiring other women without any judgment it's just women empowering women and it's just a beautiful community and, it, and it's what it should be yeah. it's yeah it's just everyone's there to support everyone whether you're, you're beginning and you're thinking can I run to the letterbox and the next day can I run to the letterbox and then the first post after the letterbox and then and it's a little bit more and it's a little bit more and, and all of a sudden you you're out there running 21 Ks, pushing. Pushing 34 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly 50 kilos with a pram. <laughs> Up a mountain. Up a mountain, yeah. <laughs> and who knows where that's going to take us. Um, yeah. What have you got coming up like in 2021? Have you got any plans, you and Veronica, or just um, running? My, my personal goal that I've, I've kind of told a couple of people because um, once you put it out there, I'm very like once it's out there, I have to commit to it. You know um, how many people listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> yes, I should I tell you or not? <laughs> You're yes. putting it out there right yes. now. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of thinking of aiming to run the Cadbury Marathon as my first marathon because that's usually in wow. January. Um, but next year it's not going to be till a, um, Easter. It's going to be on yeah. Easter Saturday. Yeah. So I thought that would be really cool running for chocolate at Easter for my first full marathon. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking of doing it as a bit of a fundraiser to help get her a wheelchair accessible vehicle because really lifting her in now, the car isn't ideal. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm thinking if, if I can train to be able to do that or not, we'll see. Yeah. Um, and if I don't physically think I can get to that point, then I'll consider taking her again in the half. I've had people say, you're going to take her in a full and I'm like, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> no. Well, never say never. I oh, know. Never say never. Like five years ago, I never would have said I'll run 5Ks with her, let alone yeah. 21. Yeah. Um, but hey, we... I saw a guy carrying a mattress at the Gold Coast Marathon once a year, like literally carrying a, like a double bed or maybe it was wow. a queen-sized mattress walking the whole marathon with wow. a mattress. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Anything's possible. Never, anything is yeah. possible. But I look and forward to seeing if, you know, what, 
what transpires out of this. And I think, yeah, go for it. All right, yeah. give it a go. I might as well have a crack at it. Um, <laughs> and the goal that Veronica and I want to do together is we've just, um, in the process of an NDIS review, and we're applying for a bike. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And if we get a bike, then hopefully we can start triathlons. <gasps> Fabulous. she loves to swim and um, she loves to run. And we trialed a bike and she just, she was just living her best life on the back of that push bike. Well, actually on the front of the push bike, it's a tandem. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Oh, yes. space, hey, let's, um, let's just see. I think that's an amazing goal. And, you know, I think with you as her mum, she's going to go far. I normally finish the end of the podcast with the RMA hot lap. Yes. But I'm not going to go through all those five questions, yeah. but I just want to ask you one, which was the yeah. last one that I sent to you. Oh, what was that one? Which yeah. is one word to describe your experience so far. That's really tricky because um, I always have a lot to say. Um, it is really hard for anyone who's um, been on the podcast. This will be like episode 16 and I don't think anyone's been able to come up with just one word. Yeah. I think I'm passionate. Mm. yeah and that can involve so many different angles from just passionate about loving my girl and my boys and passionate about giving her every opportunity to live her best life and passionate about looking after myself so I can be the best mum and wife and friend to my friends and just passionate about social justice um, and making a, a difference in the world for people with disability and looking towards um, the social model of disability as opposed to the medical model. Mm. Because that's where the world's heading is it needs to be the social model of disability and seeing people with disabilities out there living in their community is how it should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're well on your way to helping that um, come to fruition and you're doing an amazing job. You know, you've caught my attention 100% with the things yeah. that you post and say and, and the things that you share about. So keep doing it. Keep being passionate about what you love and um, yeah. where you want Veronica's life to, to go. And, yeah, yeah, hopefully Veronica continues to be on this amazing journey of discovery and you know living out her best life as you say living her best life so yeah. thank you so much for joining us today thank you and thank you for inviting me on to share some of my journey and and hopefully it just give someone else that little bit of a a spark that believe that anything's possible mm, and go out and try to grab it yeah I hope you enjoyed listening to this beautiful story with Kylie and Veronica. Over the next few months, I look forward to bringing you more stories of inspiring women in our community and beyond. Just as a reminder, the RMA member program for 2021 is now open. You can head to our website to sign up. If you've loved this conversation, please head over to your podcast app and rate, subscribe and review and I'll speak to you next time.